Welcome to the Exploring Unschooling podcast. I'm Pam Larickia, longtime unschooling mom and author. Join me and my wonderful guests for interviews, information, and inspiration about unschooling and living joyfully with your family. You can find the episode show notes, your free introductory ebook, What is Unschooling?, and lots more information at livingjoyfully.ca. And here's the show. Hello, explorers. I'm Pam Larickia, and this is episode number 137 of the podcast. It's the 15th of August, 2018, as I record this intro. This week on the podcast, I speak with Courtney Barker. Courtney and her husband, Dave, are unschooling their three children. Originally from Australia, they moved to northern Zambia when their first child was 12 weeks old. Four years later, they moved to Chile, and four years after that, they moved to Canada, where they've been for just under a year now. We have a wonderful conversation about their journey from school to unschooling, her most surprising discovery about life with children so far, tips for handling big emotions, unschooling and atypical kids, her favorite thing about unschooling, and lots more. As a personal update, this last week has been swirling with prep for Michael's trip to Europe. He's been contemplating it for months, which he does very quietly. So a couple of months ago, he mentioned it to me in passing and said he'd probably look at last minute flights for deals. And then a couple of weeks ago, he found me and said he was ready to book his flights for the month in Europe. And he's going to split it between England and Norway. And he just wanted to chat with me first to see if there was anything he hadn't thought of before he clicked the button. So first, I picked my jaw up off the floor and took a deep breath. <laughs> he showed me the places he'd chosen. I searched my mind and asked some questions and he had answers. He'd thought of everything that I could come up with. So I watched him click the button. <laughs> Then he mentioned the interesting mix of happy and scared that he saw on my face. <laughs> and I agreed. I said I was definitely very excited for him, but I needed some time to process it all. A half hour was not very long. <laughs> so that night and the next morning, I thought about what it was that I was scared of and kept asking myself why over and over. And when I saw him later the next day, I told him that I'd figured out that it was the fear of unexpected things coming up and not being nearby to help him figure them out. It's that fear of future unknowns, right? That's where I get caught, my mind swirling, thinking of all the unlikely things that might go wrong. And then I remember that today I have no control over the future that we can make plans for the things that could possibly go awry and we can ensure that we're set up to stay in touch and that's enough. Fear about things beyond that just spoils today. Again, I've got no control. So he had 10 days to prep, which turns out was plenty. And as he explored more, he found amazing places to stay and things to do. It has come together beautifully. And I'm totally excited for him now. <laughs> I took him to the airport Monday night for his overnight flight to London with a stopover in Paris. And we were in touch on and off Tuesday as he traveled. And today he's settled in and having fun. So that has been my excitement this past week. <laughs> 
And as a Living Joyfully community update, first, I'm excited to share this wonderful message submitted by Kara. Let's listen. Hi, my name is Kara, and I'm from Illinois. I've always homeschooled my three boys. It wasn't until my oldest son turned 13 that we started to really hit roadblocks. When my second son turned 13, then I knew I can't keep doing this. This is not why I homeschool. So I looked into home unschooling because my alternative was public school. And in my heart, I knew that that was not an option. Within the first three months, I saw a lot of change in the way my kids interacted with each other. There was camaraderie, there was laughter, um, and there was joy in our home. And while I still was not sure of what it was I was doing exactly, I knew that I couldn't go back, that we were going to keep going down this path and this discovery. Two years later, I can say that we completely unschool in every aspect of our lives and that it's changed not only my relationship with my children, it's also changed the way my husband and I interact with each other, the way my husband interacts with my kids. And um, I would say the biggest revelation that I've had through this process is that before my parenting style, I really was more focused on my children's outside behavior and how their behavior made me feel about myself and realizing that my behavior and how I interact with them defines the way my children see themselves. If I am looking and judging their choices, then they feel that they their choices aren't good enough and that they're not valued. And that's probably been the most convicting thing that I have had through this whole, whole thing. And I'm so grateful that now my kids know that they are unconditionally loved. They know that I will support them in whatever interest they have. And um, I, I wish I could go back many years and start doing this, but I'm grateful that I did discover it. Thanks so much for sharing, Kara. I really enjoyed hearing a bit about how unschooling has transformed not only your relationships with your kids, but with your husband too, and his relationship with the kids. And I love how you explained your biggest revelation, and it's such a valuable realization, that her behavior and how she acts with her children defines how they see themselves. We are that mirror, and if we're judging their choices, what they see reflected back is that their choices aren't good enough, that they're not valued. So thanks again for sharing, Kara. And if you have an unschooling aha moment you'd like to share, just go to the main podcast page on my website, livingjoyfully.ca forward slash podcast, and scroll down a bit until you see the microphone icon. And then click the start recording button. I would love to hear your stories. And I also want to thank everyone who has chosen to support my unschooling work through Patreon. I deeply appreciate all my patrons. Their generous support is vital to helping me freely share information and inspiration with anyone who's curious and wants to explore the fascinating world of unschooling. If you'd like to support my unschooling work like this podcast and my website, check out the Exploring Unschooling page at patreon.com. That's p-a-t-r-e-o-n.com forward slash exploring unschooling. And with that, let's get to my conversation with Courtney. 
Welcome. I'm Pamela Rickia from livingjoyfully.ca and today I'm here with Courtney Barker. Hi, Courtney. Hi, Pam. Hello, hello. I recently came across Courtney's blog, The Untamed Family, and I really enjoyed reading some of her thoughts and insights around unschooling. So it was also fun to discover recently that we live relatively close to one another. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And in the unschooling world, an hour away is practically next door neighbors. That's what I've Absolutely. learned. <laughs> so I'm excited to learn more about her experiences. And to get us started, can you share with us a bit about you and your family? Sure. Uh, we are a family of five. So I'm Courtney and my husband's Dave. And we have three kids an eight-year-old son, Teddy, and a six-year-old son, Hugo. He turns seven in a couple of weeks. And a three-year-old daughter, Camilla. And as a bit of background about us, we're Australian, but uh, we have lived quite a nomadic life since we've had children. So uh, we left Australia when our eldest was 12 weeks old. And we moved to northern Zambia, quite a remote part of Zambia, for four years. And then we were in Chile for four years after that. And we've been in Canada now, in Toronto, for just under a year. So we've had, I always call us national world schoolers. <laughs> <laughs> wow, that's interesting to um, have kind of gotten that bug and started once you started having kids. You, usually it's the other way, right? Yeah. Get lots of travel in, settle yeah. down. Yeah, that was kind of inspiration. It wasn't intentional at all. So, um, well, the first move was I think my husband was consulting before we had children, and um, he was traveling a lot. And once we found out that we were having a baby, he really wanted to be to be around a lot more for that. And so um, he took a job in you know Central Africa, as you do, to make that. So, so we moved there for that. So, and then uh, we were thinking we would be there for a couple of years and go back to Australia, but these things often progress. And so here we are in Canada. Oh, that's really cool. What a great reason though, right? Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) That's very cool. So from there, what did your family's move to unschooling look like? How did you discover that and decide to walk that path? Yeah, well, I think that that uh, happened quite organically for us as well. And we, um, you know, we followed a similar script to a lot of families, I think. Uh, Well, we were living in Chile and our boys kind of came of school age and um, everyone around us was um, sending their children to school. And I'd I'd kept our eldest son back a little bit and um, we, we kind of knew in our heart that he wasn't ready for school. Uh, but it kind of got to the point where he was kindergarten age and, um, you know, just before first grade and we kind of just crossed our fingers and just thought we'll, you know, see how it goes. We didn't know anyone who homeschooled, um, definitely had never heard of unschooling. <laughs> and um, and so we just did what everybody everybody else did and just hoped that it would be okay. And um, for our oldest, it wasn't okay. And he really struggled at school and um, it was a really miserable experience for him. Mm-hmm. And um, I think I, I was helping out a lot at school. I was helping out a lot in the classroom to support him. And we were really working with the school to, to try and get his needs accommodated and to make it a positive experience for everybody. And 
it, it got to the point where I think we could really see that um, that the school were coming at it from a perspective where they weren't happy to shift at all and they were really hoping that all of the shift would happen from our son and they, they wanted him to be somebody that he wasn't. And um, so we kind of we came to that realisation and so we started thinking, you know, this isn't really working. And our son came home one night and he said to us that uh, he was so sick of getting in trouble at school and he felt like it would be better if he never existed. And, um, and so he never went back to school, obviously, after that. <laughs> so it's heartbreaking to hear your five-year-old say. So, yeah. so we, got, we didn't know what we were doing, but we weren't doing school for him anymore. So, you know, we, we kept him home. And uh, during this whole process, our second son was at school as well. And he is a very different child and was swinging along just fine. And so we kind of started this process thinking, well, we'll homeschool Teddy and we'll keep our other children in school and we'll reassess in a year and, and all of those kinds of things. And, um, but then we started really, we saw Teddy blossoming. We started really paying attention to Hugo and thinking, you know, was this really a positive experience for him? I mean, he was, he was fine, but was he, was he really fine? And we started seeing that a lot of the things he loved, like, um, Pokemon cards and, and things like that suddenly were being banned at school. And, you know, there was a lot of no going on there, especially around boys. We know there's like a lot of no, no, no. And we went to his parent teacher interview. This was, you know, maybe six months after we'd had Teddy out of school. And, um, and we were talking to his teacher who was this sweet, sweet young teacher. And, um, she was talking about his strengths and weaknesses and um, she showed me some books that she said that Hugo could read and, and he wasn't reading and I knew that he wasn't able to do those things. But he was very, very good at numbers and she said to me, oh, and he can recognise his numbers up to 20. And I knew that he he could do so much more than that and, and I've never been focused on academics but I just I realised, like, this woman doesn't know my child like he's been in your classroom for nine months and she doesn't, she doesn't know who he is. And I can see that, you know, he was a child who, who would just swing by and maybe, maybe go unnoticed. And, um, and my husband, who was a little bit more sceptical of the whole unschooling or homeschooling thing, walked out of the parent-teacher interview and said to me, he's not going back. So he, he sensed that as well, you know, and I just... wow. And so, so then from there, obviously, then we've, we've progressed now to, to radical unschooling and that was some further steps and our daughter hasn't and won't go to school. But it's been a, a wholly positive experience for our family, mm. for sure. Oh, that's awesome. And, you know, like you said, it's a, it's a pretty similar story, isn't it? Because I, yeah. I connected with like half a dozen things right there, you know, helping out at school, um, helping teachers, trying to help them understand you know, your yeah. child and where they're coming from at the realization that it's not about that. They don't, they, yeah. you know, and, and they're, they're nice teachers. They're not, you know, for the most so part, sweet. most yeah. of the teachers were very nice. But I, I, I remember once I did a presentation at, at one of the teachers meetings on spirited children. Cause you know, that was kind of the, the term back then. Right. Yeah. <laughs> or, and maybe still now, I don't know. But <laughs> I gave it, and, and the feedback from the teachers was, that was great. It makes a lot of sense. We can't do that in our classroom. 
you know, we don't have time to be able to do that. And it made sense from, you know, so it was, everybody was making sense, but it wasn't a fit, right? Now, at that time, I didn't know about homeschooling at all. So we tried another school, which is yet another story. But leaving that school, it was the realization that he'd been there for months and I was at a meeting having conversations and they still didn't know him. It was, you know, smaller teacher, student, all that kind of stuff in a private school. Yet, so it was better but they still didn't know him and what made him shine. And I still saw him shining at home and being this kid that knew all the, was doing so many interesting things, but you know, they couldn't see that part of him because they could only ever meet the child that was trying to fit into that classroom. Right. Yeah. And I I think that I started to get this sense. I I was really active in the school and, Mm -hmm. and with my child really, you know, really trying to do everything that I that I could to make it to make it work. And I really noticed that when I was there in the classroom in the playground um, with my son, that actually things were fine. And I realized for him, just having the confidence of somebody being there who was on his team yeah. made all the yeah. But the feedback that he was getting from every everyone around him was that he was a problem and difficult and too much effort and you know that there was that there was something wrong with him and he was feeling that about himself and um, you know the change in him to being home and being around people who did really have his best interests at heart that it's not too much effort to make these accommodations for him if that's what he needed yeah you know just the shift in him was so incredible and and happened so quickly. Yes. Oh, exactly. And and um you're talking about your your second child, Hugo, right? Hugo. Yeah. Yeah, so when um I had discovered homeschooling and we asked the kids if they wanted to stay home, like yeah, it was specifically um motivated for my eldest at the time, but all three of them said Yes, please. And it was my daughter, my second child, who was seemingly doing just fine in school, right? Fitting in just fine, getting along with teachers, teachers loved her, etc. She was the most (laughs) excited and um, happy about not going. So yeah, it was that that understanding that even when it looks like things are fine, there can still be so much going on under the surface, right? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and you know, for for Hugo as well. I mean, he's just absolutely you know, done so well at home and it's been a really positive experience for him and he is he's such a social kid and he, um, you know, he needs a lot of social interaction and I worried that he would miss his, his friends at school. And, um, I didn't realize just how social you can be, you know, as a homeschoolers or unschoolers and how much more we could fill that requirement that he had by being at home mm-hmm. more so than he was probably getting at school, you know, with these snippets of time to, to have free play. And so, um, you know, that side of things I think has been a bit of a shock for me as well that, um, that he can get what he needs in, those as- in that aspect uh, a lot more at home than he could at school. 
Yeah, that's such a great point too, because when they're looking for that kind of engagement and intense and prolonged engagement, they really can. They can get it home. They can get it with us. They can get it with their siblings. It doesn't always have to be other people, right? At school, it has to be other kids because that's their only option in the short windows that they're allowed to, right? So it can seem like they're craving engagement all the time, but it's because they're never getting it. That's exactly right. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Or they can't play their games in the way that they want to or, you know. Yeah, no, that's a really great idea. Thought. Yeah. (laughs) I don't (laughs) say anything. Oh, yeah, now let's see. Okay. (laughs) It's, it's It's really true because... When they're, you know, and, and some kids want to be going out all the time. This is the beauty of unschooling, right? Is it can be what the individual child wants and needs. Yeah. Right? And we truly don't know what that is when we are only seeing them evenings and weekends. You know no, what I mean? Exactly when they're right. in school. We don't know because so much of their needs are in reaction to having been in school <laughs> during those hours, right? So they're in, in response to that, their needs, but what their, their root fundamental needs as a person are is what we get to discover when we bring them home, right? (laughs) Definitely. And I think even when you, when you look at sibling relationships as well, um, I think when your children are in school, they really see each other for the worst part of the day, you know, in the morning rush. And then in the afternoon when everyone's just kind of had enough and, um, and Face and um, watching, you know, a really positive relationship grow when they are seeing each other for for large chunks of the day when they're, you know, their best selves is really it's really beautiful to watch as well. Oh yeah, that's such a great point too. I love that. <laughs> it's true, you know they they didn't have time to engage with each other before, and as you said, certainly not in their best hours. <laughs> Okay, um, when people first hear about unschooling, right, about not following a curriculum, not doing worksheets, it can be so hard to imagine what that can even look like in a day, right? It's a totally foreign concept. Okay, we're not doing school, but, you know, no idea what it's going to look like instead when it comes, especially when it comes to learning, right? Because we all define learning as going to school and learning in a classroom with a teacher. So what did that mindset shift around learning look like for you? Um, I think that we we actually never followed a very structured homeschool um, setup, which I know that some people shift into if they have decided to homeschool from the beginning or if they've shifted out of school into homeschooling. I think because my son was in such a negative place, I think that when he came home, it was a little bit about decompressing for us and just making sure that he that he felt okay I think also because he was so young that academics were kind of at the back of my mind anyway yeah he um, that wasn't an area that had ever been a concern with him and you know I just figured it would be fine for us to keep playing for a while (laughs) and then then we might pick up with that stuff a little bit later um and I think that following that path uh, I started to really notice just how much he was learning on his own when we weren't when I wasn't even trying you know when it was just about having fun 
and um, just being together. And, uh, yeah, just seeing how much he was learning by himself, I never felt the need to kind of go down a curriculum route. And, you know, then when curiosity kind of got the better of me and I started to have a look at what he should be learning for his age group and I realised that we had covered you know, all of that and more just through living our lives for that young age group. I just, I felt really comfortable just putting that, putting that aside. Um, And I, you know, I don't want you to think that there was never a time where I was like, let's, you know, sit, let's sit down and practice writing or whatever, because I certainly did those things, you know, and I was always (laughs) like, no, I'm not doing that. Um, And I think that, you know, I just, I realized I didn't want to bring that battleground into my house you know that was the battleground that he struggled with at school and um, we didn't need that in our home and also I think that every time I really tried to push something like that it, it was like a big stop sign to his learning it meant that he would never pick up a pen on his own for you know, two weeks after that and when I just you know just sat back and just let it take its course by itself um, he just naturally came to those things sometimes because sometimes it's really useful to write things down or sometimes it's really useful to find something out in a book or it's really nice to sit and listen to a story or or whatever those things might be. And I just, I realised that my efforts to try and push forward his learning were actually a hindrance, not a help. And so I was able to kind of better put those things to, to the side. I think that's such a huge observation about, you know, when we are trying to help them, we think, right, you know, kind of help them with writing, help them, you know, encourage them. They they can tell the difference, you know, if that encourages, encouragement is weighted with something. And it's an encouragement because it's something we want them to do, not something they want to do. And, and I think what that does is really take the choice away from them, right? Now they feel like if I do this, I'm doing it to satisfy her. I'm not doing it because of wanting yeah. to, to learn how to or do it. It's, it's an obligation. It must be boring. It shouldn't be something that I want to do myself. Yeah, it just totally takes it out of their hands. And as you said, we learn that through the experience, right? <laughs> Do yeah. having done it and and seeing the reaction. It's just it's about being open and observant to seeing, especially you know that first year or two when you're intensely deschooling a lot of these ideas, right? I remember yeah. I for my for my eldest, he actually had a writing thing from school, right? He had a writing incident with a teacher and he refused to write at school. Um. So when we came home, you know, that was totally, totally, you know, off, off the table. And it was probably about a year later where he finally had picked up for something. Like he had a reason to want to pick up and write because now writing finally, like a year later, was finally not about doing something somebody else wanted him to do. But now he could find his own real reasons for it. And I remember him laughing and just saying, I don't think I've picked up a pencil in a year. <laughs> and I was, and I, was, I was at the point where I could go, cool. <laughs> yeah. You know, but, but it, you, go ahead. 
I was going to say it's really interesting that you that you said that as well because I think my eldest went through a phase like that as well. I don't think I saw him write anything, mm-hmm. you know, with a pen for maybe six months. Sure, he was like typing things, yeah. but not writing. Maybe he was drawing some things, but he wasn't writing any words. And and then he wrote. He had a reason to write something. He wanted to write a card to one of his friends. And the last time I'd seen him write, his letters were these big, like lots were back the front, you know, you know, the huge letters that children write when they're, you know, kind of learning to write, learning, learning to put things together. And, and his writing was suddenly small and neat and in a straight line and his letters were faced the right way. And it certainly wasn't because of practice, you know, but he'd been doing lots of other things things with these hands that I'm sure were developing fine motor skills and he'd been seeing the way that letters are written in different places and something was contributing but I think it's drilled into us that in order for our children to get better at something um, that they need to be practicing that specific skill every day but actually there's lots of things that can contribute to learning and it, it doesn't always look the way that we think it has to for somebody to get better at something. Yeah, that's, I love that point. And I mean, I've talked about that a bit before too, you know, with my daughter when she took a break from photography um, and, but she was doing other things related, you know, looking through magazines, websites, reading this, that, and the other thing. And she was, you know, surprised six months. She said, Hey, (laughs) you know, I'm better at this, even though I haven't literally done it for six months, but you're yeah. still learning and growing and making connections that I think that's one of the big pieces of de-schooling, right? Is seeing the bigger yeah. picture, like recognizing the learning that's happening, giving them the space so that you can start to see those things happening, right? And open up your definition of what learning looks like. That, that's such a great point. It, it's not about rote practice, Uh, of anything you know there's that rote practice worksheets over and over again no it's it's when the moment comes and the connection comes and the need comes but yeah you have to give it the time to start to see those things coming together right those six months for him to have gone from this to this without any you know practice in between but now you can see where some of the connections were to get them from that point to that point. But yeah, they need the the space and the time. Um, yeah, for us and to I, see. And that. I think that you know, writing is a really um, it's a really black and white way to see an improvement, right? You know, I could see big letters and then I could see smaller yeah. letters. You know, it was amazing. How did that happen? But you know, there's lots of uh, there's lots of learning where it's not, there's not like a concrete example of that learning and it's still going on in the background and it's still, it's still happening. And sometimes I think as adults, when we want our children to be practicing something, it's because we want them to be demonstrating their learning to us for our benefits so that we know that, that it's happening. And it's such a stop sign to, to that learning continuing. So we're making it about us then, and it's about our own insecurities and, Children will show us what they're learning in time when the moment's right. They will. They will. Like even my favorite way is just through conversation, right? And just through watching yeah. them make choices. That it, It's totally not about us. The, the ability, opening up our ability to listen, right? And just pay attention sure. to them. We need our children to tell us what a verb is if we can see them speaking and using language appropriately all the time, you know? 
<laughs> exactly. Exactly. You just, you see it in action, but yeah, you have to be, number one, you have to be paying attention, not just looking. It goes back to what you were saying about um, satisfying our needs, right? And, and, in doing it for us, because if we're looking for it to look like this, you know, we may not see it just because it looks a little bit, a little bit different, right? We may not notice that. And then, then the fears start to kick in and, and then you go through that whole cycle too. But when you're, when you're paying attention and just seeing them in action, yeah. <laughs> it's beautiful. <laughs> it really is amazing. It, it yeah. is. It is. Oh, that leads so nicely to our next question, Courtney. What has been one of your most surprising discoveries about life with children so far? Ah, you know, I think that it's actually um, it's quite different to what we've we've just been talking about. I think that um, children are so raw, and they really kind of put themselves out there. And I think with my, you know, when I was a new mom and I had two little babies and and I started to recognize that um, my kids were really telling me how they were feeling through their behavior. And it was this light bulb moment for me where, you know, it's like, oh, they're not just trying to push my buttons, you know, because it's fun or they're not being naughty or any of those like judgmental kind of frames of mind that you can come at child behavior from. I think that um, I really started to see a big shift in my thinking towards adults as well. Um, you know, when I'm out and about and I see, you know, if you see somebody being rude or angry or, you know, somebody being really over the top or inappropriate in a new social situation, I think in the past I would have thought of that behavior in a really different way. And I think that my mindset now is always like, oh, I wonder what's going on with them. Like, I wonder if they've had a bad day or if they're feeling anxious or, you know, what, whatever it might be. And it's such a helpful way to be coming at human behavior from. And, I, you know, I didn't learn that really until, you know, later in life that, um, that if we can come at people and their behavior from a, a point of view where we want to support them um, rather than condemn them, that that is so much more helpful just with interactions with everybody. And I think my children really, really taught me that. Yep, it definitely. I learned that through my kids as well, because I, I started by giving them that, you know, grace and understanding, however you want to, you know, and, and I was really encouraged as I came to unschooling to see things from their point of view, right? And the, the, the one piece I love, and probably people are getting sick of me talking about it on the podcast, is the difference between putting yourself in your child's situation and seeing the situation through your child's eyes, right? Because if I, I'm just putting myself in their situation, I'm bringing my likes, dislikes, my strengths and weaknesses. I'm bringing all those your, to your it. Your life experience. Yeah. Yes, yes. That's irrelevant because it's not me in that situation. But to see the situation through their eyes is a completely different thing. And, oh, the understanding and light bulb moments about your child when you can do that, right? It's like. Oh, yeah. that's why they're acting this way, reacting this way, wanting to do this. It's like, 
because you're seeing it from from their needs, from their interests. And so you can see why their choices make sense, even though you would never make that same choice yeah. in that situation, right? Yeah. And being able to apply that more broadly in your life as well is just such, a, exactly. such an amazing thing. I think it's really strengthened my our relationships you know, in so many different areas, not just with my children. Exactly, yeah, because now when you're out and about in the world, you're seeing things from other people's perspectives now, and you, yeah. you realize how much bigger the world is really, you know, rather than the, just this defined set of acceptable whatever, whatever, but that people come at every moment just with who they uniquely are, right? Does that make yeah. sense? Yeah. Definitely. And, yeah, and their actions and choices are are about where they are in that moment, not about us or, or anybody else. Anyway, I, yeah. I love that. <laughs> uh, okay. Oh, speaking of emotions and... <laughs> You do. You have a great blog post about handling big emotions. I really enjoyed that one. And I will link to it in the show notes. Um, And as you said in there, being in touch with and able to lean into our emotions are hallmark traits of emotional well-being, resilience, and healthy relationships. Yet, many of us grew up being shushed and shamed for having those big emotions, right? Especially the negative ones. Um, so it can be really hard for us to figure out how to support our children through these moments as we come to unschooling. So I was wondering if you could share some ideas around that. Yeah, sure. Um, I think that big emotions um, can be really overwhelming and they can be scary to watch and it can be really confronting and Children often feel with their whole bodies. They can be really loud. Um, all of those things that we probably don't let ourselves do as an adult when we're feeling overwhelmed by emotions. And so I think it can be really natural for um, parents to follow one of two kind of paths, which is either to try and shush and shame, like you said, to try and get the emotion to stop or... Um, to try and solve it, to try and fix it um, and to come up with answers. And, you know, they're both very different approaches, but they are both trying to achieve the same thing, which is to stop the process. And Mm -hmm. I think that neither of them are particularly helpful. And I think that if, um, you know, I find that when my children, actually it's kind of in the front of my mind because one of my children had some big emotions last night, which were, was a little bit unexpected. And I think that that's the way that it often it often mm-hmm. comes when your child feels really strongly about something and is really overwhelmed by something that kind of seems like it's a bit out of the blue and it can take you by surprise sometimes. And I think that um, it's really useful to think of it as it's not about that one thing that they're seeming to get upset about or angry about, that that there's a lot of baggage that they've just brought into that situation and often that moment is kind of the straw that breaks the camel's back yeah. and it all comes out. And I think if you think about it like that, it's impossible in that moment to try and figure out everything that's going on in their mind that's made them upset and to fix it or to solve it. And that's that's not your role in that moment. I think you need to, it's really, it, it's tough and it takes practice, but I think I found it really helpful just to try, try not to say much that you are, that you're along for the ride and your child's in control of where they take their emotion. 
And, you know, a lot of people call it like holding space. You might offer some empathetic words, like that sounds really hard. But, you know, your main role is to show them that you're there and that you're calm and that you're, you're waiting for them to come out the other side. And I think that sometimes, you know, your children can spiral into some pretty dark places with big emotions and that can be confronting as well. But I think that that is a really important part of the process because nobody likes to feel out of control. And sometimes that's the, the catalyst that a child needs to kind of take a step back and to be open to learning some tools to make sure that the next time they don't go to that place. But it means that they are learning the tools they need to process their emotions and they're coming to it on their terms. They're not getting there because you're pushing them in that direction. And I think that that's something that's going to, like all learning, that's something that's going to stick with them, you know, understanding their own emotions and what that feels like and where that moment is where they need to give themselves some space or take some breaths or, or whatever works for them that that's something that they're going to learn and take with them long-term. Whereas if they need you to be there to fix it, or if they need you to be there to tell them what they should be doing through the process, you know, that's something that maybe they won't be able to do by themselves then later on. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 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 And yeah, that was wonderful. And that, that learning, you know, and the conversation that we're talking about, you know, what, what might help, like you're saying, breathing, taking a break, those kinds of things. Those are the things that you're chatting about later. Like you said, not in that moment, right? Yeah. When they're there, you know, nobody should be told to calm down or to take breaths or whatever it is when they're like really in it, you know, like the time to like have a, have a chat about that is definitely in the calm that follows sometime later, you know, I noticed you had a really hard time before, you know, and, and have a conversation about, about why that was and what's going on with them. And maybe they'll be more open to sharing a little bit more of the background to those emotions. And you can have a chat about, you know, I noticed you got really angry. You know, I wonder if next time, if you gave yourself some space, that might help. And would you like me to remind you next time, if you feel yourself getting angry again? And, you know, I think brainstorming ideas with them, right? You know, yeah, what what would you like me to do if I see, you know, that might be building up for you? You know, it's just it's an actual conversation and and sharing tips. And like you said, you'll likely, you know, maybe not in the first conversation, maybe but over time, we're having these conversations all the time, right? That they might share and they'll gain some insights into themselves and be able to share and bring those into the conversations. It's like, oh, I noticed, you know, that this happened. And and your other really great point, Courtney, was that so often the thing that the straw that breaks the camel's back is not, you know, the one thing, maybe that one thing. And you're wondering why the heck are they so upset? Because that's happened three times yeah, in the I last three weeks. Parents, exactly. Or, you know, if, if you're a parent myself, like, you know, why are you getting upset that you spilt your drink or you know whatever it is because it seems quite trivial but that's not really what they're upset about yeah and it doesn't mean they're upset is is wrong or worthless no No. I mean it's much more likely that a bunch of things have been going wrong or have been bothering them or there's you know one thing that's been simmering for days or hours or whatever you know this one thing was just too much in the end. Yeah. Right. So yeah. And if you always focus on trying to fix the one thing that you see, 
you're not going to be helping them long term figuring that out, right? Because in any other normal circumstance, they would have no problem with that one thing, right? And, and I think as well that, that it's a process as well. I think that sometimes people, um, you know, parents might come at these situations and, you know, and do everything right and really hold space for their child and to really be supporting them through their process. And, and their child keeps on getting really overwhelmed by emotions and it can be easy to think that, um, that this isn't working. So often people think that, you know, if it's not working, like, and, and how do you define working that your child never gets upset that we still get upset, not being upset is not a goal or a target, right? That's useful. But, you know, to worry, oh, so if I didn't, if what, they didn't recover within five minutes, I'm doing it wrong and I need to find another way. It may just need need you to be there as often as they need you to be there, you know, and then in your conversations later, as you're processing, you know, maybe you'll be asking, is there something different I can do, you know, to help, yeah. you know, how you're feeling, you know, and, and it's okay that it takes lots of times. Definitely. Right? And, and I think as well in those situations, um, you know, I always think the only person whose reaction I can control is my own, yeah. you know, so when I can walk away from a situation, even if it's stressful and if it's overwhelming to, to watch your child kind of really deal with some, some big stuff, I think if I can walk away from that and be really proud of how I supported them and how, and how I was able to, to keep my own emotions in check during that process that um, I can always come away from it feeling really positive because I feel like when you go to one of those, when you, when you meet those emotions with like a less than desirable kind of response, it very rarely helps and you walk away feeling like you knowing that it didn't help and also kind of feeling bad that, that you could have dealt with it better. And I feel like that is, you know, that's also a really great incentive just to, to do your own internal work to get through those, those moments. As I well, remember at times, way. you know, standing there, as you said, you know, being, being there with them and processing in my mind, you know, to get through my reaction without bringing it to it because Looking back, I realized that in those moments, if I brought more to it, I was making it about me. I was making it about how their emotions were impacting me, which, but this moment is about them, (laughs) you know, and it's a big enough moment in that moment that it doesn't need to be about anybody else at that time, right? Yeah. Yeah. No, for sure. (laughs) Um, You've shared on your blog as well that one of your children is neuroatypical. And that is a really common question. Um, you know, will unschooling work for my atypical child? Because, you know, so often parents have found, like, like we both found, that conventional school isn't working well for our child. And we're worried that that might happen with unschooling as well, right? We're trying just to get a sense when we first hear about it, whether or not this, this might work or whether it's going to have the same kinds of, same kinds of issues. So I was hoping you could share a bit about what your experience has been with unschooling and atypical kids. Yeah. um, I think, you know, it's really interesting what you were saying before because I think it's relevant here as well as when we talk about something working or not working, you know, what we mean here. And I think that sometimes, um, 
you know, if someone was to try unschooling and to say it didn't work for my child, you know, in my mind, kind of what I'm thinking that they're saying is that, um, that I didn't like the choices that my child was making and that it didn't look how I thought that it would look. Yeah. And, um, I think that if you are, are, coming at the process with a really open mind and seeing your role as really supporting your child to go down whatever path of learning it is that they want to go down um, and to really being their partner in that rather than dictating it or having any kind of preconceived idea of what um, successful unschooling is going to look like, Um, then I think that there's no way that it can't work really. And I think that, you know, when you step away from unschooling into radical unschooling or kind of whole life unschooling and, you know, you tie in respectful parenting with all of that, I think that there um, is often concern too around disability or neurotypicity, typicity is hard word, um, <laughs> to, um, about, you know, what that will look like and if it will look different. And I still think that that is somebody coming at it thinking that there is a really set script for what, Mm -hmm. Um, unschooling should look like or respectful parenting should look like and that script has been written for a neurotypical child and it's just not like it is at all I I mean I've got three children two neurotypical children and one neurotypical child and they're all different ages and they're all different people and they all need different things from me from me so um, what respect looks like and what supporting them looks like looks different for each of them and it's about being really in touch with your child and understanding when they need your help and when they don't, um, when you need to help them for kind of health and safety reasons and when you don't and, um, and really letting them be the guide. And I just, yeah, it's been so successful. And I, and I would say that it's probably the most positive thing that you could do with your neurotypical child is, is really empowering them and, and respecting them and trusting them. And that is at the heart of unschooling and respectful parenting. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. That's beautiful. It's that's when you think about unschooling and how the idea, as you were saying, is to support that child, that unique child at that point, how neurotypical or not, or how, you know, whatever it's a physical problem, none of it, it's all irrelevant in that it all matters because that makes up that unique individual, right? And unschooling is is about supporting them. Maybe it includes physio. Maybe it includes lots of medical appointments. Maybe it, you know, includes whatever their, their focus is, however they process, however they learn, however whatever, right? It's about supporting and helping that individual child. So, you know, I'll often say unschooling will work for every child. Now, it may not, it won't work for every family. It won't work for every parent because, you know, if that is, that may not be the way you're comfortable raising your children or your children learning or whatever. So it may not work for every family, but if if parents choose that lifestyle, I think it can work for every child. You know, yeah. it, it's not about not having routines or schedules. It's about helping a child figure out how he likes to move through his days. And yeah, I mean, responding works for everybody. 
Yeah. There you go. Geez, what I take so long to say. <laughs> that works for everybody. She's right. <laughs> you nailed it. <laughs> exactly. It works for everybody, right? And and you support them the way that, that they need and want support, period, yeah. right? So I think another um, really important realization on the unschooling journey is that things are going to go sideways, right? At first, when you're reading about unschooling, it kind of sounds like this utopia, right? This like, oh, (laughs) we're all doing what we want and we're all going to, you know, respect each other and, you know, la, la, la. And my children are learning intensely all day. But but it's it's life, right? With all its ups yeah, and downs life. and twists and turns and I think and I think we touched on this too earlier. The further we are in our journey, the more we come to recognize the valuable learning and self awareness that often grows out of the mess of things going wrong. Right? Is seeing yeah. from somebody else's perspective. And so much so that, you know, at, at this point, I rarely label any of, uh, if ever, any of our choices, you know, as, as wrong, right? Because they were, they were the best choice that we could make in that moment with what we knew in that moment, right? That's where hindsight is 2020 <laughs> comes from. Yeah. <laughs> but life is definitely full of missteps, right? So how yeah. do you handle those? Well, I mean, in the day-to-day, we're all human. Everyone makes his mistakes, you know. Everybody comes in some situations, you know, in ways that, you know, with like you said, with hindsight, they realize maybe they shouldn't have. We all have days where we haven't had enough sleep or our blood sugar's low or, you know, we just want to be be anywhere but, you know, cooking for our children or whatever it is, you know, that makes you just be in a mindset that isn't, you know, dealing with things as positively as, as you maybe can sometimes. And I think that um, our children see that and they see that we're human and they also see what our, um, how we look to remedy those situations as well and that it's okay to go up to your child later and to be like, hey, I was thinking, um, you know, about what I said before and I realised that I was really unfair and, um you know, I realized that maybe that could have hurt your feelings and I'm really sorry or, you know, apologizing in the moment, you know, oh, look, I'm sorry, I want to start again. Like, yeah, you know, yeah. I sound really frustrated and I'm not. And I think that um, kids pick up on that and and they take that into their own lives as well because they're going to do the same things. Uh, they're human too and you know, it's, it's helping them model, you know, you're modeling the tools that maybe they can use to to make amends when you know, when things don't go as they plan as well. And I, and I see my kids as well. Like they, they're really empathetic towards us. Like when we were on, at, on the weekend, we went to this beach and my husband was uh, unpacking the back of the car and he was a bit flustered. And, you know, there's kids everywhere kind of demanding their goggles and like yeah. all their equipment because they want to get in the water and he's trying to get everything out. And my eldest son went up to him and said, um, oh, dad, where's the sunscreen? And my husband kind of like kind of gave it to him in quite a gruff way, you know, and, and I saw him walk away laughing, my son. And I, and I was like, what's wrong? And he goes, he's like, dad's really stressed now. I think that maybe we should go and help him. <laughs> and it's like, I realized that, <laughs> that, you know, he could see that, 
he could see the signs that he was getting overwhelmed. And I see him do similar things to me as well sometimes. And Mm -hmm. they start coming at those situations being like, oh, how can I help you? Because they see us respond to them in that way when they're getting overwhelmed. You know, how can I help you in this situation? Like you're seeming like you're getting a bit stressed. And I think when I see moments like that, when one of us are, you know, not handling situations as well as we would like to, when I see our kids coming in to help, I realize that's because they've seen us model that behavior as well. And that is, that's the best feeling ever. I think that they're going to take those skills into their life. Yeah. That's such a big piece. It, the, the, the understanding themselves and just understanding human beings, right? Yeah. And when we come and, and, you know, we're open about when things go wrong and, and, you know, and eventually you can laugh about that. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, I think, I think it's, it's, coming, it's coming process. Yeah. And I think it's coming full circle to what we were talking about before, which is you start to see things from other people's perspectives you know, my son in that moment, he wasn't making it about him, like mm-hmm. suddenly taking on board and thinking, um, oh, like, you know, my dad he was, was treating so me mean. in way. I was just asking for the sunscreen. Yeah. You know, he was coming at that thinking, oh, what's going on with you? Like, you seem really overwhelmed. You don't usually react like that. And, and how can I help? And I think that um, you know, it's, it's a really useful skill and in life. so often, um, you know, at least conventionally, so many adults don't think children are capable of that skill. Yeah, you hear them saying that children are so self-involved and I just don't see that at all. Like I see my children really being empathetic to each other and to their friends and really trying to see things from other people's perspectives as well as their own. And um, I just, yeah, we don't give children enough credit, I think, or maybe the opportunity. (laughs) Both of those. Yes. I mean, they have to have the opportunity, you know, to be able to do that, the space. And, and I think a big, a big part of it, you know, when we think that as adults, we have to be, you know, perfect, right? You know, we're adults, we're supposed to do things right. And, and we kind of hide when things don't go so well, or, you know, we're embarrassed if we did something that we feel bad about later. So we don't say anything, you know, we don't apologize. We don't have the discussion. So, you know, then there it's going to be weird having the discussion with them and expecting them to open up if we're not honest uh, as well about, you know, to their, their level as much as, you know, they're interested in, but we're having conversations all the, all the time for years, right? Eventually things come up and, and connect and there's a moment, you know, so it's not like we have to rush into these things, but yeah, you know, they, they learn that they don't need to hide and be perfect to, you know, not get in trouble. Right. So yeah, that, I think that that empathy is such a, a huge piece and it develops by by seeing it in action with other people, right? Yeah, and, you know, it's really interesting as well because I think that for my eldest son who is so in touch, I feel like, with Mm -hmm. with other people's feelings and is so 
you know, considerate of me, I feel like as well. And so helpful and really, you know, can sense if, if I'm out of balance as well. And like his dad as well. And, and he was the child at school that the feedback I was getting was that he didn't have enough empathy for the children around him, you know? And I feel like that is, that that's so amazing. What a, a couple of years and being around people who are showing you empathy um, can do to, to help you take all of that on board. And so, yeah, yeah. Uh, that's beautiful. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Our last question, Courtney, what is yeah. your favorite thing about your unschooling lifestyle right now? Oh, I think that um, my favorite thing would be time. Huh? Just, uh, you know, the time that we have together as a family, obviously, but just, um, how flexible we can be to just living in the moment, you know, if we're somewhere and we're having a great time, then we stay, or if we're somewhere and it wasn't what we expected, then we leave. And I think that, um, we're not on anyone's schedule, but our own. And that just gives our children so much, um, opportunity to really live in the moment. And I'm learning a lot through them that I don't need to, to worry so much about, you know, <laughs> things that I that you think about oh if we stay longer the traffic's going to be bad or whatever it is and just like letting go a little bit um and so I think that yeah just the flexibility in our life the ability to be spontaneous and just the time that we that we have with each other yeah oh yeah I love that and I remember learned you know where I learned that piece of the you know the worrying about the traffic if we because people it was going to the science center in toronto (laughs) about the only place that's really close to me (laughs) (laughs) so yeah we'd be you know i'd be thinking oh we should you know go soon so we can miss it but i was the only one stressed in the traffic you know yeah because they, they taught me too, or I learned from them, you know, we can still have, we have fun in the car. We're like singing or having conversations or they're doing something, you know, depending on their age and what people are into. It was never a really huge deal if we had to spend a bit more time in the car driving home. No. I can remember reading in one, um, in a blog uh, article by somebody I can't remember now. And she, she's talking about her experience of, homeschooling and unschooling five now grown children and and she talks about one of the biggest parts of their learning experience being car schooling and then <laughs> her it, her explanation is in brackets you'll see and I feel like that's so <laughs> we just have the, the yep. best conversations in the car <laughs> so I know what Oh, some of the best connecting moments, right? You know, you're just kind of side by side. Things just come up or they don't. Or, you know, you're just sharing whatever is going on. You're all a witness to that, right? Whether it's a shared song or a share, maybe you're listening to an audio book. It's stuff that weaves into your lives that can weave in, you know, months and years later because you have that shared experience. Definitely. And, you know, it's lucky because you spend a lot of time in the car as an unschooler. (laughs) Because, you know, people an hour away are your next door neighbor. (laughs) It's really true. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) 
Well, thank you so much for taking the time to speak with me today, Courtney. I had so much fun. Yeah, it was lovely. (laughs) That's awesome. And before we go, uh, let people know where they can connect with you online. Tell them about your blog. Oh, yeah. Okay. So my blog, The Untamed, is www.theuntamed.net. And on Facebook and Instagram, we're at The Untamed Family. And um, on Instagram, I share some pictures from our day and things that we're doing. And Facebook, I share bits and pieces that other people have written that I find useful. And I share my own blog posts. I try and write something each week. It doesn't always happen, but uh, you know, <laughs> every week or two is an inspiration strike. So put something together. So. Oh, that's awesome. Awesome. Thank you so much. Have a wonderful day. Yeah, you too. (laughs) Thanks for listening. I hope you found it helpful. You might also like the backlist episodes at livingjoyfully.ca forward slash podcast. While you're there, be sure to check out the first book in my Living Joyfully with Unschooling series, Free to Learn, Five Ideas for a Joyful Unschooling Life. In it, I share the five paradigm-changing ideas that most help me better understand unschooling. Reviewers have said, A quick read, but packed with ideas that challenge the dominant paradigm of our failing approach to learning, this little gem makes an excellent argument for unschooling. And, I was rather doubtful about this book, as I had never heard of the author, but after reading it, I wish that I had read it years ago. I hope you find it helpful, too. Free to Learn has also been translated into French and Spanish. Until next time, have fun living and learning with your family.